0: It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. Well, folks, we're going to do Herd Mentality today. The bills are off, or were off, on Tuesday, and so nothing new out of training camp to discuss. So we'll turn our attention to what you want to talk about and uh, get into some outstanding topics that were submitted for this week's Herd Mentality. Let's get started. First one comes from Anthony. Anthony says, it's clear the Bills are going to use more 12 personnel, and I'm hopeful they will get as creative as possible with the options it opens up for the offense. My question is, given the current roster of the AFC East, how do you think each team will approach defending the Bills specifically when in 12 personnel? They've talked about how it puts defenses in a tough spot to choose to defend run or pass, so just wondering what and who you think it comes down to for each divisional opponent. I know this is a tough question, and the answer could probably be a whole show, but the season is fast approaching. Thanks for always setting the standard for great content. Thank you, Anthony. Good question here, and I appreciate you asking this because it allowed me to take the time to really think about this. So let's go by, let's go through each team in the division, and I'll talk about some of the dynamics that exist for them that I think they will lean into to help defend 12 personnel. And just in case anyone's unfamiliar, 12 personnel just means one running back and two tight ends on the field. So, this Dawson Knox, Dalton Kincaid combination on the field at the same time, what would I anticipate the AFC East doing to defend them? And, real quick, just from a high level, I think you're typically considering matchup style linebackers. So, like a Matt Milano type player that's going to help defend tight ends and then safeties. Safeties typically give you a little bit more size and physicality to handle the bigger bodies that come with tight ends and so starting with the new england patriots one thing that's true about new england is they don't have much in the way of coverage upside with their linebackers but they will play a ton of safeties there's been game plans against the bills before they used a lot of 12 personnel where the patriots would put several safeties on the field and they roster a bunch of safeties every year and they got this guy kyle duggar who's probably one of the most dynamic overall players. I'm sure he'll be a big part of their equation to match up with Knox and Kincaid. In addition to Jabril Peppers and Adrian Phillips, those safeties, those three safeties, that's a good trio. And um, that's probably who they're looking at to help defend 12 personnel. Now the Patriots, like I mentioned, no coverage upside with their linebackers, but they've got safeties. Moving on to the the Dolphins. The Dolphins, Vic Fangio taking over their defense this year. A lot of talent on the defense. Obviously, I'm sure they were quite disappointed to lose Jalen Ramsey, who is probably going to be out for over half the season, a good chunk of the season he's going to miss with his meniscus injury. And so Jalen Ramsey, I think part of their original vision for Jalen Ramsey was to be able to move him around quite a bit and use, whether it's Cater Kohu or Cam Smith, who they drafted, to play on the outside and free up Jalen Ramsey to be versatile and be matchup specific. Well, he won't be around at least for the first matchup. He'll probably be back for the second matchup. And so I think they'll lean into Javon Holland, who's a star in the making at safety. They get Brandon Jones back from injury this year. He's physical and athletic. And then they also have two good coverage linebackers in David Long and Jerome Baker. And so I think those four players, Holland, Jones, Jerome Baker, and David Long, are the players they're going to look to to help with those mismatches. And then, of course, when Ramsey comes back, put him into the mix. For the Jets, I think for them it's going to be more about scheme than it is going to be specific players that can match up. they got a couple of good players. I think a Quincy Williams, at linebacker, who has the athleticism to match up, and Jordan Whitehead's a good safety. But for the Jets, I think for them it's more about scheme. And part of what they did last year that was that made them so effective against the Bills was just testing the patience of Josh Allen and asking him to execute play after play after play and not necessarily have the assistance of a big play. And so I think they'll lean into that type of structure, but also utilizing Quincy Williams at linebacker and Jordan Whitehead at safety as two of their key players to – Match up. But I I think for them, it's more about their scheme, their zone coverages, how they space the field, and the mental stress that it might put on Josh Allen to kind of play the game a little bit differently. So that's how I would see the AFC East dealing with 12 personnel. The next question comes from David, who says, My question is about the Bills' AFC East divisional record and what it will be in 2023. With all the noise being made by the other teams in our division, the Bills' path to a domination of the division looks murkier. Do you buy or sell the Bills being in a dogfight to win the division this year? Also, if the division really is a complete war and leaves the Bills, Jets, and Dolphins nicking up each other's records, then which of the three gets a wild card spot, assuming in this projected scenario, all three teams are playing good football? It's a good question. And on the Draft Dudes podcast, uh, Kyle Krabs and I, we went through and we predicted every single game of the season uh, for every team. And we actually had the Bills, Jets and Dolphins winning 11 games or more. I think the Bills were at 13 and the Jets and the Dolphins might've been at 11. So we think they're going to win a lot of football games. And so even if you've got three playoff teams, which is what we had, we had all three of those teams making the playoffs. You know, they can be really good teams, beat up on each other a little bit, and there's still a path for more than two to get into the postseason. And so I think that's very much a possibility, but Simply put, yes, I think this is the most competitive the division has been along with the Bills. I mean, Miami is the team that I still perceive as the biggest threat. Uh, year two for them with Mike McDaniel and Tua Tungavaloa running that offense with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. And, you know, they've added even more to their skill players with Devin A-Chain at running back who's really explosive and. Braxton Berrios now in the slot, and Robbie Anderson now as one of their receivers. I think that they're going to be potentially more dynamic, and their counterpunch is going to be the most fascinating thing or one of the most fascinating things for me to watch unfold this year where you know they really had this explosive stretch there kind of in the middle of the season but tapered off a bit late. They look good against the Bills in both of their matchups, but some of those other matchups like the Chargers, uh, 49ers, wasn't quite as clean for them, and so I'm really curious to see what Mike McDaniel's counterpunch is on offense, while also being mindful of that Vic Fangio is taking a, uh, taking over a defense that is absolutely loaded with talent, especially in that D-line. I mean, they're, they've got some dudes, and so I think the biggest threat is Miami, and um, I expect them to take a step this year, and obviously, I think the biggest part of their equation is Tua and his health, and if he stays healthy, I think they're going to win 10, 11 games. I'm very mindful of the Jets. The Jets are an interesting team. I think they were seven and 10 last year. Great defense, bad offense, didn't score a touchdown their last three games. Well, they upgraded their quarterback position in a massive way with the addition of Aaron Rodgers. Now, I think he's got a good supporting cast. I I still think there's some questions on the O-line, especially at tackle. I mean, their running back situation is completely unproven, a bunch of young players a lot that has to come together in terms of the skill players. They have some veterans at receiver and of course a budding star at receiver and Garrett Wilson, but I think they're going to be a lot better on offense and defensively. We know what they are and they've added more, right? They've added some pass rush, uh, to the mix. They've added some depth. And so I think they're going to be a dangerous football team. Now, what I'll say is the jets aren't a battle tested football team. You know, they really haven't paid their dues. They haven't, been through adversity and had to come out the other side of it. And so I'm really curious to see how this all unfolds, especially with a very challenging opening stretch of games. I mean, they could be three and five through their first eight games. Very, very likely. I think they could be 0-2. They start with the Bills and then at Dallas. They could be 0-2. So how do they come out of those situations where I think they're going to be facing some adversity? I think that's going to be fascinating. And I'll be honest with you, I'm pretty dismissive of the Patriots, and maybe I shouldn't be. I respect every team in the NFL. You know that. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, I have a lot of respect for every single team. But I'm pretty dismissive of the Patriots when it comes to this big picture of the AFC East. I just don't think they have enough dynamic players. I think Bill Belichick's a good coach. I think he's a terrible GM. And because of that, he's really limited the talent of this roster. I mean, who are their guys? They're dynamic football players. Kyle Duggar, Matt Judon, Josh Uche, Christian Barmore probably the end of the list I, they made a great draft pick this year christian gonzalez he's a rookie we'll see michael and wayne you are guard Ramondre stevenson at running back there's just not that many players that are like wow that's going to be a real problem to deal with so i just don't think they have the personnel and let's be honest it's been four years since the patriots have looked competitive against the bills now, you want to put the hurricane game in there go right ahead but the overwhelming sample size has not been good for New England in terms of looking competitive against the Buffalo Bills. I had lunch last week at Lenovo with my uncle, and my uncle's a diehard Patriots fan. And he, he said well, if, the, if the Patriots win, if they go, he said he wouldn't be surprised if they go 1-5 in the division. So I think the Bills, I think the Bills will win four division games. And if they win five, they're going to be in business. But I think four, I think you got to get four to win the division. And I think they got a good chance. They could split with the Jets and Dolphins and sweep the Patriots. And there's your path to four and two in the division. Next one here comes from Chris. Chris has got a good question. He says, It seems like an element the Bills' offense has lacked for several seasons now has been an effective screen game. Do you foresee the Bills trying to use more screens this season? Given our roster makeup, also with the Bills committed to using more 12 personnel, do you think the Bills could use more tight end screens this season? Lastly, generally speaking, are tight end screens easier to set up and execute than running back screens, or are they the same in terms of difficulty? More tight end screens would seem to me to be a great way to get two highly athletic tight ends the ball in more creative ways. I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on these questions. I don't think the Bills are going to run more screens. And I don't think that they should. I know this is a big talking point. Everybody wants screens. And the Bills aren't good at running screens. So I don't really understand why people want more of something they don't do well, especially something that requires a lot of practice to do well. In 2022, Josh Allen executed a screenplay on 6.2% of his passes. That was 30th in the NFL. Very infrequent part. Of what they do. Number one was Aaron Rodgers with the Packers at 16.8%, more than 10% more frequent than the Bills. Josh Allen's completion percentage on screens, not good. 77.3%, second worst in the NFL. He was better than Joe Burrow, though. 75.4% was uh, was Joe Burrow dead last in screen completion percentage. Yards per attempt, Josh 4.2 on screens, third worst in the NFL. Number one was Ryan Tannehill at 8.8. They're just not effective with any level of consistency, and Josh Allen's skill set makes it challenging. Part of being a successful screen team is getting man coverage, getting aggressive uh, looks against you, uh, fooling the defense, and being really smart with when you situationally call them, and the fact that Josh Allen is such a dynamic player that really puts a lot of stress on defenses and you don't get a ton of man, right? You get a lot of zone and eyes in the backfield. It just makes it difficult. And so like, I, I understand that it's an appealing thing, but the bills are bad at it in order to be good at it, it requires a lot of practice. There's issues with the bills and having Josh Allen as your quarterback. That's always going to make it hard to run screens. And I know it's frustrating. Another team hits a screen pass against you and they rip off a long play and You think, why can't we do that? Well, other teams are wondering why they can't throw the ball down the field like the Bills, right? I mean, there's give and take here. I was at camp last week. They they did run a bunch of tight end screens. So I'm sure that'll be part of what they do. We saw them work the screen game, but I'd say the results were just as inconsistent in practice this past week that I watched as we've seen for the last few years with the Bills. So hopefully they can be more effective. I don't anticipate much in the way of an uptick in frequency. All right, folks, August is here, and you know what that means. The official start of Fantasy Football Drafting Month. Get championship ready for your home league by trying out best ball on Underdog Fantasy. Folks, check this out. Underdog is the easiest place to play fantasy football, and it's the best place for best ball. Check it out. All you do is one one live snake draft, no waivers, no trades. And then Underdog sets your best lineup every week. And you could try it out with Underdog's Best Ball Mania Tournament. It's the largest fantasy football contest of all time. It's bigger and it's back. And there's $15 million of total prizes up for grabs, including an absurd $3 million going to the winner. And look, last year's uh, winner drafted their team in July. So there's no reason to wait around. Get it done now. So visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store and sign up with promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get your first deposit doubled up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code LOCKEDON. All right, folks, the next one here comes from Adam. Adam says, the defense has been aggressive with pressure, and the offensive line has struggled. The O-line struggled sometimes last season with pressure. Is McDermott just running the defense he wants? Is he putting extra pressure on the O-line to find out early where they stand? Or has the D-line taken a step forward and the O-line a step back? Don't remember hearing so much about pressure from the D-line at last year's camp. I'll tell you this. Everything that Sean McDermott does, everything is intentional. And so I think the answer to a lot of what you're asking is yes. McDermott is working the concepts and schemes that he wants to run on defense. He's also giving the offense good looks. And I would agree the Bills – they struggled with the blitz a bit last year. And, and Josh Allen, his splits against the blitz were not good in 2022. He had a passer rating against the blitz of 82.9. That was 30th in the NFL. He was only better than Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. His completion percentage, 57.3 against the blitz. That was 28th out of 32. 6.5 yards per attempt. That's 24th out of 32. And they faced the Blitz a good amount, 33% of dropbacks for Josh Allen. He was Blitz. That was eighth most in the NFL. And so I think you have a number of layers here. The Bills are going to be a Blitz-heavy defense. If there's any indication that I had from watching them last week, they're going to Blitz like crazy. You have an offense that didn't perform well against the Blitz, and so you're working on a bunch of stuff. And that's the purpose of training camp. You're trying to tinker. You're trying to experiment. You're trying to put your team in situations and find out how you need to evolve. And so I think it's been good exposures to this point. Next one here comes from Alex. Alex says, do you see a chance of the Bills platooning Bates and Torrance at right guard? Maybe put Torrance in to close out games that we are winning or in short yardage plays, given his preferred skill set in those situations. Or do you think the starting O-line is something you shouldn't mess with in a game? Yeah, I, I I think your starting right guard is your starting right guard. Now I think there's a chance they could platoon because we've seen it happen with Ty Insecki and Cody Ford in the past, and Bills are certainly mindful of a rookie wall. We've talked; they've talked about that. So I think there's a possibility, but I I I cannot stop thinking about what Joe Biscalia wrote on Sunday after practice, where he said, in his opinion, and and Joe B has seen more camp than I do, and Joe B is one of the guys that I respect their football opinions. Right? If he says something, I think it's true he says that Ryan Bates has been far more consistent than Osiris Torrance. And he also talked about a possibility for the rotation that we've seen in camp is because Ryan Bates is also the second string center. And so he can't get all the first team reps at guard and all the second team reps at center. That's just an unreasonable request. And so I think there's some dynamics here that we have to be mindful of. And I'm kind of recalibrating my expectations for Ryan Bates to, to be the starting right guard. The next one is also from Alex. Alex had a couple good ones for us. He said, given the recent struggles of Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley at training camp, how do you feel about us trading a late round pick for Davis Mills, Davis Mills quarterback from the Texans? He seemingly played competently in Houston last year. We would have him on his cheap rookie contract for two seasons. And I think it makes sense for Houston to trade him away with Stroud and Case Keenum in the building. Well, Alex, I'll tell you this. This is more intriguing than some of the suggestions that I've received to sign Cam Newton or Joe Flacco or Carson Wentz. But I honestly predictively don't think the Bills are going to do anything here. Sean McDermott spoke this week and said he has confidence in both Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley. And even bigger than that is Josh Allen has a lot of say about who is in that room with him. And Matt Barkley and Kyle Allen, those are his guys. And so I don't think there's a QB2 savior coming, folks. I think it's Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley, and you just pray Josh Allen doesn't get hurt. I don't think anything's going to happen here. And I'm anxious. It's going to be a big thing that I'm watching here throughout the course of the preseason is how do these how do these backup quarterbacks look, and they're going to get a ton of opportunity. And I'm looking for incremental progress, and I'd like to have some level of confidence that these guys can play if the Bills needed them to. Next one here comes from J.O. J.O. says, after listening to your pod on JP returning, uh, Jordan Phillips returning and defensive line trade candidates. Would you see any team willing to trade a right tackle for a defensive end? If you could make a trade happen, what options, if any, make sense? Keep up the, uh, keeping awesome and shout out to your aunt Karen. Yes. Thank you. Go bills. Um, I don't think this is going to happen folks. I, I mean, teams aren't just giving away right tackles. So, so let's calibrate our expectations appropriately. The Bills believe in Spencer Brown. Whether you do or don't, they believe in him. And he's had a pretty good camp. And for anybody that says they didn't do anything meaningful at offensive tackle, you're wrong. They brought in Brandon Shell, who has 72 career starts and has been a primary starting right tackle in each of the last six seasons. Did you want him to sign Mike McGlinchey? or Caleb McGarry, what what did you want? What did people want the Bills to do at right tackle? They have a young player that they've been developing that needs to realize his ceiling this year, and they brought in a 72-game starter that's been a primary starter in each of the last six seasons as a hedge. Teams aren't just trading away meaningful offensive tackle depth. I mean, the Lions, the Detroit Lions just signed Bobby Hart because they wanted more tackle depth. There's no quick and easy way to get tackle depth. The Bills believe in Spencer Brown. He's at a good camp and they have a reasonable hedge in Brandon Shell. And I feel like I put out that tweet because I observed Spencer Brown having some discomfort in his lower back and getting some attention from the medical staff, and people have lost their mind at right tackle. He's had a good camp. They have Brandon Shell. Breathe, relax. Teams aren't giving away good tackle depth. And the Bills have Brandon Shell. and say what you want about David Questenberg. I don't think he's very good, but he's got a lot of experience. They still have Tommy Doyle, who I think the team likes to some degree. I wouldn't anticipate anything happen here. And expectations minus reality equals disappointment. So disappointment. So I think it's good for us to have the right expectations, because I don't think the Bills are sending away a defensive lineman for some offensive tackle that's going to get us all warm and fuzzy and happy about Who's backing up Spencer Brown? They have Brandon Shell, primary starter each of the last six years. All right, folks, got some more to get to. Hang with me. I got my wing rankings. My Buffalo ring, wing rankings are coming up after a very quick break. All right, next one here comes from Jason, and then I'll do the wing rankings. Sorry, a little bit out of order. Uh, Jason says, Boogie Basham is a guy you've often mentioned as a trade candidate and he seems to be on the outside of the defensive end rotation right now. I would disagree with that part of it. Is there any possibility he could bulk up enough to play three tech behind Ed Oliver in a rotational role? I recall him playing snaps there as a rookie. It seems like the ship has sailed for him to be a starting end, but another interior player under contract next year might be a nice thing to have. Some interesting layers there. I would disagree with you that he's falling behind in the Uh, defensive end rotation. I commented last week several times about him getting first team reps, about the Bills deploying him in a number of different ways, getting a lot of interior rush reps as well. So I don't think he's falling behind. I think the Bills just have a lot of good options there. And um, I mean, no, he's probably not going to be a starter for the Bills, but neither is AJ Epinesa. And he had great progress in year three. Let's let Boogie Basham have year three before we send him to another team and dismiss any idea that he can help the Buffalo Bills because I think we were dangerously close to doing that with A.J. Epinesa, and he responded with six and a half sacks last year and played good football. And so let's talk about this idea of Boogie Basham playing more on the inside. I think it's a possibility. I mean, he was 274 pounds coming out of Wake Forest, and I actually recently spoke to one of the defensive coaches at Wake Forest when Boogie was there, and I of course I asked him about Boogie, and he said, yeah, weight was always fluctuating when he was at Wake Forest as well. And so that's continued in the NFL, and I have a level of concern about that and how it's impacted his ability to be consistent. But I think that if you wanted to put on more weight, he could, and he can help you more on the interior. And and based on what I observed last week, he is getting those chances to reduce and play inside, just like you're seeing from Greg Rousseau and even some from Shaq Lawson. So I think he can help you situationally on the inside, um, kind of a, a penetration style player. He's not going to really help you as a nose, but that versatility is meaningful. And I, I'm willing to let things play out a little bit here. I'm not super optimistic. I've certainly commented and let you know that, but um, I, I don't, I mean, it's it's really unfair to, to be overly critical for Boogie Basham as he enters his third season. I, I think we we want this instant gratification for these draft picks to be amazing right away. And sometimes that's the case, but sometimes there's there's, development takes time. And we've seen year three be a meaningful year for a lot of players with the Bills, whether it's Josh Allen, whether it's Deion Dawkins, Dawson Knox, and Oliver's year three was his best year. I mean, this stuff happens. A.G. Epinesa last year. Let's let this play out a little bit. Here comes the wing rate rankings. Bills WZA says, we want all your wing rankings from your week in Buffalo. I'll be happy to give them for you. Um, So let me tell you, of course, you know, I have a scoring system. So I had a scoring system here for the wings, and it was on a one to five scale, five being great, four being good, three being average, two being fair, one being bad. And we graded the wings in five categories, size, sauciness, crisp, flavor, and blue cheese. And so I went through, graded them all in five categories, and then I took what percentage of the possible points they got out of 100. And this is where where everything fell. I went to nine wing places last week. You already know, 9-11 Tavern, number one best chicken wing in the world. And again, let me tell you this as well. I am grading these only as traditional buffalo hot chicken wings, so no specialty flavors factored into this. Traditional buffalo hot chicken wing with blue cheese. Number one, very clearly, nine eleven tavern, eighty seven percent of the possible scores they got them. Uh, Bar number two at eighty five percent. Number three, wing nuts at eighty four percent. Number four, Lenovo eighty two percent. Number five, Duffs seventy eight percent. Number six, Elmos sixty eight percent. Number seven, Imperial fifty one percent. A big drop off here. Number eight, Mitchell's at forty six percent. Wings aren't good, but they got the best beef on Weck. And then number nine is bocce's, 45%. Those, I mean, they give you a a little cup of Ken's blue cheese. Are you kidding me? I know they're known for their their pizza. Just stay away from the wings at bocce's. Not good. All right, next one here comes from Craig. Craig says, who are the top three trade value players? Who should we try and get a good return on? And I'm going to give you a very boring answer. I'm interested only in the Bills keeping good players. I'm not interested in trade value and getting return on guys. The Bills are not sellers. The Bills are a Super Bowl contender. I want them to keep every good player and use them for themselves this year. We saw attrition on this roster last year in the the form of the depth of being stressed. And I'm not trying to trade away players right now. Now, there could be some surplus talent that they can't roster, and that's where it gets interesting. You wanted to trade a Boogie Basham or something like that, but I'm not interested in getting returns. I'm interested in having as many good players as possible to go win a Super Bowl. I got a I DM this week. Somebody asked me about trading Trey White. What? The Bills are are not sellers. The Bills have to focus. The Bills should focus on retaining as much talent as possible, and there are injuries. They're going to happen, and so a position of strength can be a concern real quick. So I know that's a boring answer, and everybody wants to flip players for picks and all that type of stuff, And maybe there's some opportunity to do that where you have some surplus, and you just have to because of the numbers. But right now, if you're talking about trading players, I mean, we're talking bottom-of-the-barrel guys for late, late-day three draft picks. And that's the conversation for me because the Bills are not sellers. They're contenders, and they're going to try to win a Super Bowl, and you need as many good players as possible for that to happen. All right, folks, there you have it, herd mentality. Fun stuff today, some good challenging items to get into. I think a lot of this was consensus-type stuff that everyone was thinking about, so appreciate the opportunity to address these matters. Got a busy week the rest of the way. The Bills practice on Wednesday and Thursday, preseason game on Saturday, Ton of content coming your way. So don't miss anything. Make sure that you are subscribed. We'd love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Go Bills. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.